0: Okay, I had to hit record so that Julie could continue to tell this story uh, for everybody to hear. So, Julie, please carry on. All right.
1: As everybody here knows, I'm obviously the biggest type A personality on this podcast and I'm like so structured and like I write out all of our content and um, I see what you're doing here. You're actually describing me. Correct. Correct. Which is why, of course, I'm the content writing and editing project lead. Uh,
0: (laughs) This is why I had to start recording because Julie's telling me (laughs) that she's the blog, uh, the blogger for uh, something that she's in for Junior League. And I literally cackled at her.
1: First off, how dare you?
0: I mean, you also started laughing cause you knew like, I know, like, I
1: know. I think, I think when I was like doing my, about me, I was like, oh, I, I podcast, I have content and they're just like, great, write it down. I dare you. And I was like, wait, what Challenge Mom?
2: accepted.
1: <laughs> mommy, sorry, mommy, sorry, <laughs> mommy.
0: So what, what exactly um, do you have to do in this role? Um, I'm trying
1: to even clearly, as you can see by my type A personality, I know exactly already what it is. Um, mm, It's just I I am it and I have it and I support content writing for things and I make sure that it aligns with like our marketing team because I'm also fairly
0: in the know with
1: marketing
0: What I'm hearing is that I'm going to get a text message from you at some point asking me to help you with something. No, we're just going to put my words out on
1: the internet. I love it. Unedited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. Of course, they have like a full process of vetting what goes online. Thank God for me, but yes, thank God for copy editors. Truly. And like, also just like, keep your eyes out on the interweb for me now. Cause I'm out there. I'm a content
0: creator. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> so since you're going to be such an expert, maybe I'll hand over, um, all Probably of the, the whole content. website to me. Yeah. I was going to say hand over all of the content for the website to you. I think yeah. that would be a really good place for you to start. I think so as well. Cause
1: I'm, I mean, I know right now I'm only doing content um, for them, but I don't see why I can't just also probably just run our Twitter. Should I start
0: running our Twitter exclusively and like lock you out? <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I think so too. I, I, I do think that, um, well, I was actually, I was chatting with your husband today and we were talking about how excellent you are getting at creating content on our Instagram.
1: People did, like, the one time in the past seven months that I posted um, about my outfits for work.
0: Oh, yeah. That's exactly what we were talking about. He was like, I have no idea where she came up with that idea. It was hilarious. I was like, it, everybody loved it. I wanted to show what I actually wear to work, but
1: it was like, depressing.
0: Well, do you want to intro our guest for us? Wait, you're not getting
1: away that easy with it. You just completed your big you just had a big completion, project completion
0: outside of work. Oh, are you talking about Holiday Mart?
1: Of course I'm talking about Holiday Mart.
0: Yeah. So Julie and I interviewed um Addy, who is in the junior league. And she had previously done the holiday mart placement that I was in this past two years and Addie if you're listening girl this was so much more work than I expected it to be <laughs> I was uh the decorations and operations co-chair for one of the largest fundraising events that they have in Kansas City uh, and it is by far our largest fundraiser for the Junior League of Kansas City and it's a three-day i guess four-day shopping event um think like your typical christmas market where you have a bunch of vendors come in selling all sorts of goodies that you can buy for the holidays so yeah i was in charge of decorations and operations and um in hindsight those are probably uh at least the operation side is, is like one of the most important parts of that weekend Um, So I should have known that it was going to be a pretty heavy lift, but um, I I also was like physically lifting very heavy Christmas trees all weekend as well for the decoration side of it. So uh, it was a lot of fun. I have learned a lot uh, from that placement and uh, I can say that I am glad that Holiday Mart is complete.
1: (laughs) I think my favorite thing from that weekend was you getting, you text me just being like, were you the one who made the bows last year? Like, <laughs> it's like, um, my under trial,
0: I knew that'd be okay.
1: If I say yes,
0: I knew that you had been with me for, um, one of our, uh, AMRs where we had to help make those. And I was like, I can't remember what we used to make them because Part of this is that it's a two-year placement to be a chair, and you generally, the first year, learn from the current chairs what you're supposed to do, but my um, first year was during COVID and a pandemic, so we didn't have Holiday Mart in 2020. We kind of did something else, and so I didn't get to learn what I was supposed to do for this year, so it was very trial by error slash um, thank God for people who have done it in previous years, who are on the committee as well, helping um, a ton and answer all of my questions. Okay. So now that I've shared that lovely experience. Thank you. How about we, how about you tell us a little bit about our guest tonight?
1: Yes. Tonight we have Brooke Burton. She is the founder of People's Club here in Chicago And funny story, like most of my best relationships, I found Brooke on the internet. (laughs) We met on Bumble BFF, like, I don't know, a couple months ago now. And in her profile, she said, I own this business. And I'm always intrigued by people who own businesses. So I swiped. We matched. Thank goodness. And I think that was the first thing I asked her It was like, tell me about this. Cause I'm a very cordial person. And I don't know that I even said, hi, I was just like, tell me about your business that you own. And she's like, oh, like here's the website, check it out. I put together these fun food and drink events for just people who went to hang out and around Chicago. And I was like, great, sign me up. And so I think I met her. And then the next week I was literally a member and I went to an event and now I go all the time. And I was like, Brooke, you have to be on my podcast. So that is the story of Brooke being a guest. Um, she like works with these local spaces and local vendors here in Chicago to put together these like really intimate tastings of, of whiskey or cocktail making classes. Like we're doing these like five course tastings. They do like little get togethers for big sports events. And she arranges all of this. It's like, such a fun way to just meet people in the city. There's like no strings attached. And so, yeah, now I'm a full fledged member and we're going to have fun talking to her tonight.
0: Do you have in your Bumble BFF profile that you are a podcaster? Oh, um, let me
1: check. I haven't been on Bumble BFF in a hot minute. LOL. No. <laughs> <gasps>
0: I am so ashamed of you. Julie, this is it. Okay. If you're going to be a content creator, listen, you got to put that in your profile. You got to hustle, girl. You're, like, you're just like dropping in people's DMs and then you're oh, like, oh, by the way, I have a podcast.
1: Well, I hit them up if I'm interested. <laughs> Um, if it's important to you, I did put that I used to be a, a DJ, okay. which seems much more relevant.
0: Nope. really all doesn't. Right. Oh, okay, <laughs> that is a good fun fact for your profile. But podcast or die. Oh yes, girl, work it. I know. That's a my great
1: photo. my profile photo is from Annika's wedding, and that's probably what I look like all the time, right? Like right now.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. The jawline—it's just impeccable.
1: <laughs> all right welcome back everybody like we mentioned before we have brooke on tonight she's the founder of this new ish social club and i'm biased because i love it i'm a member um the people's club so brooke welcome we're so excited to
2: have you thank you so much for having me julie and annika um it's this is going to be such a fun conversation Speaking of fun,
1: we are sipping on the same drink tonight. Do you want to explain to everybody what it is?
2: Yes, tonight we are sipping on a penicillin. Um, So this is a drink you make with whiskey and lemon and ginger. And I should look more into the history of the name, but I'm assuming it has something to do with the fact that it's supposed to make you feel better because a lot of cultures just give whiskey out when like, people are sick. Um, so yeah, it's, it's super refreshing and I love gender. So I love ginger drinks. What do you think of it, Julie? I love it. I was telling a story before we started
1: recording that, um, I like asked Brooke cause she's the expert on these things. And I magically had all the ingredients in my house. I've never had something come together so perfectly. So it's like, it's meant to be, I made this simple syrup over lunch. And
2: now I'm just sitting back and enjoying it. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I should mention too, that this drink came to mind because at one of our most recent people's club events, this was like our opener cocktail. Uh, So I think that was the event we, we ran last week. And so I had this last week at our event and I was like, oh my gosh, so good. Want to recreate it at home. That sounds really good. I'll have to uh, get the recipe
0: in my email that I, I missed the memo and, uh, and recreate that too. Um, I am allergic to penicillin. So, uh, that would not be, (laughs) that would not be a fun thing for me to have in real life, but the drink version sounds very good. Sounds like the perfect cure for your allergy. (laughs) I love it. Um, I have, um, not as exciting of a drink, but I do have a fun story of why I'm drinking what I'm drinking tonight. I have one of the uh, Underwood canned rosé wines, which I've never had this brand before, but did you guys, when you were kids, did your neighborhoods ever do, (laughs) did you ever drink wine as a kid? Um, (laughs) Did your neighborhoods ever do the thing where you would get booed around halloween somebody would like come drop off a little basket of goodies at your house they would say you've been booed and then you had to like go secretly go to your neighbors and drop off little goodie baskets for them quick little
1: sad side story about my life my parents chose my neighborhood because when they went to do the tour they're like wow janet wow ray there's so many little swing sets up and so many kids toys in the yard's this will be great for all of our kids. And then we move in and literally everybody, every one of our neighbors was like, hey, do you any, um, any of our kids toys? We don't have kids anymore. So, no, Annika, thank you for bringing up the fact that I grew in a neighborhood with no kids and it was just me and my sister.
0: Okay, I thought for sure this was
2: the thing that like every neighborhood did, no? Oh, Yeah, I've never heard of this one. I grew up in Minneapolis or outside of Minneapolis. And yeah, we, this is a new one for me. Although I feel like I had a very robust Halloween experience as a child, like very traditional trick or treating in the neighborhood with all the kids, but we never did booing, but
0: that sounds fun. So we would, we would also do that, but okay explaining all of that because I showed up to work this morning and somebody had booed me at the office. So I had a cute little goodie basket with all sorts of things in it, including this can of wine, which is very exciting to see first thing on a Tuesday morning. So do you know who did it? I do know who did it. Okay. Our listeners actually know this person. It's our former guest, Melanie, she booed me. So we now work together, uh, in a a fun little turn of events. So yeah. So then today someone now you have to, I'll send you the little link. It's, I think you go just like type in and Google like Halloween booed. And I'm sure a website comes up (laughs) or I'll find the link and post it in the chat in a second. But, um, yeah, it's so much fun. So once you get booed, you then have to go secretly boo to other people. So I over lunch, I went to Trader Joe's and got all sorts of little goodies for some fun surprises for people.
1: I'm going to start booing myself at my home office, leaving
0: myself little treats. Maybe you should just have a shot and, like hide the um, Halloween Reese's around the house for you. I make him do. I don't know if you guys are familiar.
1: We'll stop talking about holiday traditions in a second, I promise. But I make him do Saint Nick's, which is like December 13th. And like when I was a kid, we would leave our shoes outside the front door and like Saint Nick would come and give you like little pre-Christmas treats. I don't really know. But the best thing is, is I make him do it and I don't tell him any of the traditions behind it or the date. So sometimes during December, I'll just like want a treat. I'll be like, Saint Nick's day is tomorrow. <laughs> be like oh I totally forgot I have to go
2: do you um, have any traditions Brooke that you want to talk about before we <laughs> start talking about you mm, I mean I I really like Halloween just in general I, I think it's just a fun I love dressing up I have so many good memories of trick-or-treating and doing Halloween and Halloween parades at school I feel it was a big deal at my school
0: This is um, semi-relevant to your episode because it will air right before Halloween, so at least we are semi-on topic. (laughs) Well, yeah, so those are um, fun drinks, uh, canned wine, and then probably the much better-tasting penicillin cocktail, which we will share on our Instagram, Um, but let's go to the very beginning
2: and find out what you wanted to be when you were growing up. Yeah, I was thinking a little bit about this question and it like brought back just so many fun memories of being a kid and dreaming about things like this. But when I was a kid, I wanted to be a lot of things. I've had a million different interests and that's like part of why I've had a very scattered career path. Um, But there was a point where I loved writing and I loved drawing and I wanted to be an author and an illustrator of like children's books. And then I also loved magazines and my parents had a lot of magazines lying around at home. And I wanted to be like an editor of a magazine. And I remember there was a school assignment where we had to create like a mini magazine. And I thought it was the most fun thing ever. And then later in high school, I remember wanting to go into politics and going into public policy. I was super involved with youth in government, which is like a big um, program in Minnesota. And then, yeah, at one point wanted to be a professor, be an art art historian. I wanted to be, I don't know. It changes all the time and it's still changing. Did you have a favorite magazine growing up? Mm, That's a good question. And Um, why was it 17? Or Tiger Beat? (laughs) Or what? I remember getting Tiger Beat, but I feel like that one was like too risky and I don't think my mom let me subscribe to it. But I did get Teen Vogue. And I loved Teen Vogue and I used to like cut out all of the different fashions that were in there and like highlight everything and look up all of the different writers that were writing in for it. And I don't know if you've, either of you have followed like Teen Vogue's story, like up until today, but they do like really, really interesting content now. And they're super, super smart, super progressive and writing about really cool stuff. So they're still doing good work. Um, But yeah, I just remember like being so excited every time it came in the mail.
0: I loved Teen Vogue as well, but I feel like it was pretty risque back in the day, too. So it's funny that you could have that one. There would be like stories that'd be like, I
2: haven't even gone through puberty yet. Like, I don't even know about this. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what about it. My mom let me get that one and not the others, but (laughs) she didn't know the difference. So all of the things that
0: you were interested in to me have like a fairly common theme, like all very creative kind of interests. So when you had to determine what you wanted to go to school for, was that what did you end up doing? Did that have anything to do with it?
2: Yeah, I feel like I've always kind of struggled with this creative interest aspect of myself because I'm not like artistic in like I'm not creative in that way. But I definitely like creating and seeing things come to life. Um, but like early in my career, I was um, like really interested, like I said, in public policy. But then in college, ended up taking a lot of sociology classes, and um, that and ended up doing Teach for America, kind of, kind of because I wanted to do something social impact right after college. And I feel like teaching is very creative, and that you get to build out lesson plans, figure out like what your students are going to react to. You can just kind of really make it your own and incorporate their feedback into all of the curriculum that you're planning. Um, so I feel like that was like my first kind of foray into something that was kind of creative, even though it's teaching. Um, but yeah, I'm not like artistic. I'm not, I, I like, I know how to play some instruments but I'm not like a musician or a creative in that sense but I do love building things and seeing things come to life and I feel like that's probably been a through line for me in the last I don't know 10 years where I've been been working
1: I just have to interject here and say that I don't remember who told me this but I told them a similar sentiment like oh I'm not creative if you asked my friends to like have me make an art project they'd laugh at my face because that's happened to me before But the thing about funny thing about creativity is that we've defined what creativity is in a way, and that's like the exact opposite of creativity itself. So I think it's really great when you can find it in other aspects of like a air quotes, non-traditional creative role. Um, And that's the whole point of like going into careers that you love is that you can be creative in the knowledge that you know. And I think that's just a higher and higher or not higher, but maybe just different form of creativity (laughs) that we don't talk about as often.
2: I 100% agree with that. I feel like I think about that all the time. And I feel like everything that I do, like, I feel like I am being creative in what I'm doing, but it maybe doesn't look that way on the outside. So yes, and I also like believe that everyone is creative, like everyone creates in some way or another. And I think it's important as like adults to embrace that um, and not just let that be something where, you know, you're writing a magazine like at 10 years old in your room, but you're you're implementing it in your life every day.
0: I think a lot of people hear creativity and they immediately think of like artistic abilities because um, I think traditionally that is what was labeled as creative, but yeah, like you guys are saying, there's so many different ways to be creative. Now, it doesn't have to be the fact that you can draw or not draw. There's ways to think creatively be problem. I think problem solving is being creative. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of different definitions out there for it. Um, you mentioned teach for America and I don't know if we've had any guests that have done teach for America before. I know what Teach for America is, but can you and I'm sure Julie does as well. But just in case anybody doesn't know what it is, can you kind of briefly explain
2: it? Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. So Teach for America or TFA is essentially a program for uh, students, undergrad students or even anyone um, that has a college degree to do like a two year program where you teach in under resourced schools. So those might be urban schools, where like I taught um, here in Chicago, um, or you can. There's a lot of folks that teach in rural, rural schools as well. Um, so it's a program that is really aimed to bring, you know, people who care about social impact and um, understanding sort of the systemic reasons for why we might have an unequal education system to to get really in the Gritty details of being in the classroom every day. Um, And some people do it for just the two years and then go off and do other things. And some people turn into career teachers. So there's a lot of controversy around the program, which we can or cannot get into. But um, yeah, that's kind of like the basis of what it is. And I I really enjoyed my time uh, doing it. But yeah. Did you end up being a
1: career teacher or did you move on?
2: Yeah, so I think uh, pretty obvious that I moved on. I taught for three years. So I did like my two year sort of commitment with the program and then stayed on one extra year and then ended up wanting to pivot into something else. So I worked at an ed tech startup after that. But I do have friends that I did the program with who are still teaching, which I think is amazing. Some of them still in the school that we taught at and others who have moved on to different schools. Um, And, you know, everyone kind of gets a different experience and has a different takeaway from the program. Um, I think in general, it's a net positive for people to understand sort of like how these schools function and the problems um, that they face. But yeah, I, yeah, I did my three years and that was, that was good for me.
0: (laughs) You mentioned that you moved on to an ed tech company. Was this a piece of technology that you were using in the classroom already and then you kind of saw this opportunity
2: yeah that's exactly what happened so i i taught um i'm certified in teaching special ed so i taught high school special education but not in the special education that you would like t- people typically think about like i mostly taught students with learning disabilities or emotional disorders um so we used a lot of technology to just help keep keep them on track during the day and I became really interested in like the data analysis aspect of ed tech and how you can technology can really help teachers do things that they wouldn't be able to do um like on their own like for example I had students in my classroom that read across like 10 different reading levels like I had some kids that read at a second grade level and some that read at a fifth grade level and some that were at seventh and some that were like at 12. Um, so as a piece of technology you could have everyone sort of like reading the same type of article but catered to their individual needs and I thought that was so cool because if a teacher were to do that manually by hand it would take like hours and hours every single night whereas if you can just like run it through this uh, piece of technology it like automatically kind of uh, shapes out for everybody. So I started just to be get super interested in how technology can be leveraged in classrooms to, to make like things easier for teachers. And then as I kind of explored that interest, I was thinking, oh, like maybe I wanna work in ed tech. And then from there I got interested in tech more broadly and we can talk more about that. So what kind of role did you have at this ed tech company? Yeah, so I was a content manager. So people who are listening, who maybe took AP exams or advanced placement exams, like my job was pretty much to like edit AP questions like all day, every day, which was a lot of (laughs) kind of boring um, day in and day out every day, but also had the opportunity to like build out some new curriculum. So basically like our company built like digital curriculum products for students that were studying for advanced placement exams. Um, So students getting ready for their exams in May could like log onto this platform and do practice questions and get feedback on like what they did right and what they did wrong and how to improve. Um, So yeah, my role was a content manager, um, but it was a really early stage company. I think the company was around two years old when I joined. So got a chance to really understand like how companies function at that stage. And, um, you know, like I was 25 years old and like our CEO was like 26 years old. So it was like a very young kind of like, you know, everyone was like mostly like under 30, no kids, kind of like that Silicon Valley thing that you might think about. So um, it was fun, fun. And I was there for two years. So I know after that you
1: ended up going to business school. Was it the fact that you were kind of in this startup space and you saw someone create their own business, or was it more of just wanting to get more into the tech space that drove
2: you to get your MBA? Yeah, I think there were a couple of things at play. I think the first one you mentioned, which was that when I started working at this ad tech startup, like I started to think about the fact that anyone can start a business. And I never really thought about that before. Like I just thought businesses just existed like in the world, like fully formed, you know? And I was like, wow, like you can literally like come up with a problem and then solve it and then create a business to solve it and hire people to do more of that, which I just thought was interesting. Um, and then the second piece was that of that was that, um, the uh, unfortunate reality is that if you have like education or teaching on your resume, it's kind of hard to pivot around. Um, You get very much like pigeonholed into education um, without having, you know, like a business undergrad degree or like some sort of like quantitative skill there. And I studied sociology. So I just felt like an MBA would kind of round out my experience a little bit and enable me to go into any direction that I wanted to. Whereas with like a teaching background and then an ed tech background, it felt like the options were more limited. So I'm currently getting my MBA.
0: Do you feel like there is a class that has helped you? This is kind of fast forwarding a little bit to what you're doing now, but do you feel like there's a class that helped you or has helped you with starting your own business and kind of just like really changed your mind about how you view things or has helped you a lot along the way?
2: Mm, Yeah, that's a good question. I think all of the strategy classes are really great because you just get a chance to talk about so many different businesses and like the strategies that they took and what worked and what didn't work. And it just gives you a very holistic understanding of different ways to kind of enter a market or grow. Um, so I liked the strategy. I liked my strategy classes a lot. And then this is a very like lame answer, but I didn't really know anything about accounting before business school. And I just feel like the basic accounting classes were very helpful and just understanding like profit and loss, like a money up money down like how do you actually credit like how do you actually account for you know the the fundamentals of your business and make sure that you're you know have healthy margins and things like that and I don't think I would necessarily have thought through much of that without just some of that like classic accounting that you need
0: so that is for sure my class that I would say has been the most beneficial to me So when I started my master's program, I was working for a credit union and I would sit in these, they called them ALCO meetings. I have, I can't remember what they stood for, basically just big financial meetings. And we would have these like pages and pages worth of balance sheets. And I'd be like, I don't know how to read this. But after I took my accounting class, I was like, this makes so much more sense now that I know how to read a balance sheet and understand that like you said, this is loss. This is a game. Like now I can actually read this and understand what these numbers mean.
2: Yeah. And also I should have said congrats to you on, on getting your MBA. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it's super empowering when you realize like, this actually isn't that complicated. Like I can read these statements and if I can't read them, I feel like I have the resources to figure out how to read them. Um, and yeah, it's just like the backbone of, of everything. And I feel like something that accounting also helps you understand is that like everything needs money to work, (laughs) even nonprofits, even schools, like the school that I worked for was like a public school, but like they have to get funded and they get funded by people who make their money through other ways. And it's just, everything is connected. Um, so I think that that's something that I took out of those classes as well like money makes the world go around. It's just kind of the way it is, at least in our capitalistic world as it stands <laughs> right now. God, now I'm gonna have to go
1: apply to get my MBA. I'm looking at both of you because I wasn't gonna go do that, <laughs> but now I have to apparently. Well, you have two people that can help you with your essays now, so. So you do think that getting your MBA,
2: cause you, did you, you got your MBA and then it was kind of COVID, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we graduated or my class graduated May 2020. So we had like one quarter of online classes um, to fin- to wrap up and then had our virtual graduation. Oh, no. Oh,
1: well, sorry that happened. Um, But so did business school really I know we said it kind of helped you prop for your business, but did you get the idea in business school and you're like, okay, I can fully form this based on what I know, or did you finish and then
2: think, oh, I have an idea and now I know how to execute it. Yeah. So it kind of was like a whole kind of roundabout thing. So the idea for people's club or for creating a space for young adults to essentially connect and meet is something that I'd thought about for a long time. So something that I thought about when I was living in Chicago, kind of before business school and, you know, looking for ways to meet new people and not have it be something super intense or, you know, like I didn't have like, like you can take a second city class and it's eight weeks long and like maybe you'll meet some people or I'm not really sporty. So like, I don't really do all the like volleyball league type stuff that I know is really popular here in Chicago. So I was kind of thinking about this concept way before. Um, but then I knew I wanted to engage with entrepreneurship while I was at business school. And I was really involved with some clubs there that were all about like empowering women to engage with either entrepreneurship or um, venture capital. And so I just had a lot of personal energy around it. And then when COVID hit and I was looking at what I wanted to do. And I'd done an internship at Grubhub, um, for my summer internship and didn't necessarily want to go back there. So just decided to, to launch into it. And I didn't really know how it would go, but I figured now's the time or now being then was the time. And, um, yeah, just kind of decided to, to go for it. Were you still, working at
0: the ed tech company when you decided to launch this?
2: No. Yeah. So the ed tech company I worked at before business school, and then I had two years of doing my full-time MBA and then um, graduated and then decided to launch my business in September of 2020. So essentially I had like the summer to kind of plan and figure out what it was going to look like. We were entering this very strange time with, virtual gatherings and so had to figure out what that was going to look like and um it you know the thing that's really weird about this time right now is like everyone's just still figuring it out like businesses that have been around forever are figuring out how to change and like all of these new businesses that have started have to figure out like how do you navigate a post-covid world yeah there's just a lot of unknowns i think still It's kind of interesting because it puts you in a way, it
0: puts new, brand new businesses on the same playing field as businesses that have been around for ages. Cause you're all having to, like you said, go through the same thing, learn the same things, how to navigate in this post COVID world or at the time, like during COVID world. So it's, it's
2: kind of a good time to start a business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And a lot of the businesses that I would consider to be like competitors, I guess, or like people that are kind of playing in the same space um, had a lot of changes like in the last few years. So for example, like social clubs that had, you know, really fancy, expensive real estate that they were paying for to for people to come in and use their space like I launched without a space and I launched just doing zoom classes. So um, now that there's in person, I'm trying to figure out like how do we navigate physical space and real estate market is changing a lot. So um, you know, people are closing down their spaces or doing different things with the physical spaces that they have. So I think just this whole world of like community centers or social socially minded businesses are, yeah, like you said, are kind of all figuring it out or changing quickly. I have to say you're doing a great job. Thank you. <laughs>
1: um, so I, I think Annika and I have talked about this before, but like having an idea about something you want to do and and creating a space for something you want to do is like already difficult enough, right? But then we found that naming was super difficult. Can you talk us through the idea behind the People's Club name?
2: Oh, this is a controversial question because I still like don't know how I feel about the name, but I couldn't think of a better name like I I literally this was like a non-name non that came about like I don't like love the name club but I do feel like the word club kind of encompasses what we want to do and then I couldn't think of another word that better encompassed it so I just people's club it just kind of sticked and then I also am very inspired by um, like old school community centers like YMCA and JCC and things that have acronyms So in the beginning, I thought that this was going to be the PPLC, and that's what I was calling it, like PPL is people and then C is club. And I tried to get that to stick, but it didn't really stick. So now everyone just calls it people's club. And yeah, maybe there'll be a name change in the future. But for now, I think it's working.
0: It's funny you asked this, Julie, because I earlier this week was cleaning out my notes app. (laughs) on my phone and I found all sorts of very interesting notes. So to listeners, you should definitely go into the notes app of your phone and uh, I'm sure it can provide some entertainment. Um, But I found a note for the list of names that we (laughs) were trying to decide between and some of them are so bad.
2: I love the name Explain Yourself. I think it's great. How did you come up with this one? I am a very
1: just like forward person when I'm talking to people. So I feel like it's definitely something I would say, like if someone said some nonsense business, like I'm a project synthesizer, I'd be like, all right, explain that. Like that doesn't make any sense. Explain yourself. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Annika made a really great logo that makes it seem like we're probably being nice about it. But in my head, it's me just going out to be somebody and be like, explain yourself. <laughs>
0: I didn't want it to come off too aggressive, you know, we also have to like really cater to our audience, you know, millennial women.
2: So I feel like our logo does that. Yeah. And I feel like your logo and your branding is, is soft and welcoming and inviting. So maybe it kind of takes, if you feel like it's a explain yourself as aggressive, it doesn't come off that way at all. That's why
1: Annika's on board because um, she is the magic behind all of that.
2: At one point, I thought of calling it potentially the beat. Still, kind of like that. I like like a yeah the beat of a community, like. But I also like the word like house or uh, like place. I think those are nice words too. I don't know. It's hard. Naming is really hard.
1: It is. It really is. So, and I was telling this in the intro as well, is that we met on Bumble. So I don't even actually know like how your marketing strategy got off
2: the ground or anything like that? Yeah, I can talk through that a little bit. Um, so essentially what I do, which, which, you know, is working is like I post the events on different kind of blogs around the city and then people will sign up for one event or try it out. And then at that event, I'll kind of explain to them what we do and, um, and then maybe they'll want to come to more. Um, So I kind of do like an events based approach to marketing, because it's kind of hard to sell people on like an entire club or an entire experience, um, just like cold. Um, So it's like, hey, come to this wine tasting or hey, come to this whiskey tasting. And then once you're in, kind of get a little bit more education on like the holistic approach of events every week and an opportunity to meet new people. Um, So that's the main way that I've been marketing to date. When you say
0: blogs, you mean like different influencers around the city or like city focused blogs of like, this is what's going on in the city this weekend.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like the latter, like, um, yeah, different blogs that are saying like, here's like a list of things that you can do. Um, there's so many email newsletters that have that type of stuff. So it's been easy enough to just, and they're always looking for things to send out to their subscribers. Um, so just cold reach out and say, Hey, I have some events that your email subscribers might like. Do you mind posting about them? And yeah, usually they're like totally on board. And I think one thing that's really cool about doing something that's hyper local is that, you know, the community is usually really open to cross, you know, collaboration. And, um, like Julie knows, but we do our events at different kinds of venues around the city and try to highlight different local um, people that are working in the food and wine, food and bath industry. So there's definitely a camaraderie there around, um, yeah, like you're like, yeah, I want to like learn about some local whiskey brand. That sounds great. Yeah. But yeah, just a lot of finding the right person to get in touch with and getting on their list. And then of course I also started with like friends and family who signed up initially and were supportive, which was great.
1: So the events are obviously right at my alley we recently had a wine tasting which was a lot of fun and the space was beautiful but first i'm going to ask you a couple of questions rapid fire so first how did you decide on just like a food and bev centric club how did you manage to pull those off virtually when a lot of them require having physical elements for the members and what was the transition like to going to in person events
2: yeah um so it's funny Because I'm realizing now that like when you have, since you've joined, it's been very food uh, focused. But initially I had this whole idea of like all these different categories of events. So it was like food and drink, arts and culture, health and wellness. We did some like meditation workshops and workouts and art classes. And I love all that stuff. So it was really fun. But I just felt like from a marketing perspective, it's good to go niche And the food and Bev events were just the most popular. Um, So kind of just narrowed in on that market. And I also feel like for building a community of people who want to meet new people, um, food and drink is like a very natural way to do that. That's literally as humans, like how we create community and create connections is like breaking bread or like having a drink with somebody. It just like loosens the environment a lot. Um, so I felt like that was just a natural fit over time in addition to it being the most popular. Then, yeah, when you ask about like, how did we pull this off during COVID? It was quite the operation. Um, I would get, I would, we would make cocktail kits with all the ingredients that you needed for the event. And then I had like a whole system I had a couple kit pickup locations. I had one on the West side. And one on the north side and people signed up for their kit location. And then if they wanted delivery, it was like $5 extra or something like that. And I literally went around the city and delivered cocktail kits, like in my car, dropping off kits, like random apartments, like random people's homes, um, sometimes in the snow. Um And yeah, I don't even know if I could do that again because it was just like so ridiculous. But it was it was fun because people I think were really excited to get their kit. And again, this was like deep COVID where people were like literally were not doing anything. So um just having like a fun, you know, package delivered to your door and knowing that you were gonna hop on Zoom at seven o'clock and do something fun with other people. Um, I think was a bright spot for a lot of folks. So that was that was really kind of fun. And what was like driving a lot of the virtual programming. And then yeah, the transition was quite interesting going from virtual to in person. I think I'm still figuring out like what the appetite for virtual is, you know, people kind of say, oh, I still want there to be virtual programming. It's kind of nice that you don't have to leave your house, but like just the attendance hasn't been as great for virtual. I think People just are, especially during the summer, like Chicago summer, people just really want to be out and about. So it's been mostly in person since May and just, you know, working with the venues to find places that will take our group and, you know, be a great partner. And, you know, hopefully it gives folks a way to learn about new places that they may have never been to before. And I think that now the discovery aspect is um, like bigger where part of the value is for members to be able to try these different venues that they've never been to. So yeah, it's kind of just changing like the whole way that it works. Cause it was like, it's almost like running a new business. Um, Cause it was like just virtual for so long and it's only been in person since May.
1: I would have killed to know about this in quarantine. I can't tell you how many nights in a row. Nor do I want to dispose how many nights in a row. Shout out to my friends John and Mitch. We would just jump on and play Mario Beer Cart for hours without stopping. So having just like the slightest bit of variety would have been great. So R.I.P. I didn't find you sooner. What like what a fantastic first off like what a dedication to just hopping around this, bobbing around the city and, <laughs> and dropping stuff yep. up. And get that. <laughs> that feels like startup culture to me a little bit, um, which I I haven't done, but sounds really cool and interesting and sexy like it does on TV shows. So I'll let you tell me if that's true or false, but. um.
2: Yeah, and on top of that, like this definitely was not legal. Like it's not like I was like checking everyone's IDs. I mean, I was pretty sure everyone was like of age, but I was just dropping whiskey off at people's apartments. I feel like every like all rules, were just like going out the window during that time, regardless. You know.
1: No, I think there's definitely more of an appetite for like. First off, I found out what a terrible bartender I would make over quarantine, as like my drinks are so bad. And then Annika had this fun. I I stole this from you, Annika. Annika had this fun idea where she um, has like a house bar menu where you can come over, and she's like these are my house cocktails. I can make you on demand. Ah, I love that.
0: I know. Isn't that cute? And um I cannot claim this idea because we stole it from one of Tim's coworkers (laughs) and I am determined to make my at home bar menu so much better than his, but basically him and his wife are super into cocktails. And into whiskey and so they decided they were going to taste test a bunch of different alcohols to determine which liquors would be like their their signature liquors for each drink so like they tested a bunch of vodkas and and determined that like basically vodka at least to them all vodkas are pretty similar so they just decided tito's was going to be their house vodka Um, then they tasted a bunch of whiskeys and determined which one was going to be their house whiskey. And then they legit created like an actual, like, you know, leather bound menu that you would receive at a bar. Yes. (laughs) I (laughs) love this. And then it has like here are the different types of cocktails you could do. Like they've got a martini they've got, um, I won't have to like pull it up, but they have like a bunch of different types of drinks. So being the competitive person that I am, um, Tim and I decided that we wanted to do this. And so we have, we're very into cocktail making as well. He's a big whiskey and bourbon drinker. Like we have so much whiskey at the (laughs) moment that it's, we need more places to, to house all of it. Um, and so we decided we wanted to do this. So, um, Julie got to taste test a few of our cocktails
2: recently. What are the names of your cocktails that are on your menu?
0: So are they named have,
2: after like fun things about you and your life?
0: Yeah. So we have two so. dogs. And so one of them is named the bandito, um, cause his name is bandit and it's kind of like a, a mezcal kind of spicy margarita type drink. And then we have a dog named Rogue and um, hers is a like pomegranate bourbon jalapeno type drink that Mm. is very, very good. So we've got a couple, we're still, we're still making the menu. We're still (coughs) testing out a few things, but I'm determined to like create this whole the marketer in me is like, I'm going to have this beautiful menu that we'll have copies of and people will be able to have whatever drink is on our menu when they come visit our house. I
2: think that's great. You need an explain yourself cocktail now. Well, so or you're <laughs> so like, oh, we have mentioned <laughs> that.
0: Julie was in town last weekend and or two weekends ago. And um, I recently purchased Empress Gin. Have you heard of this before? It's like this beautiful purple gin. They make it out of like pea flour or something. So it has this like beautiful purple color to it. Um, I'm not a big gin drinker, but I I know gin is so popular and it's in so many drinks. And so I'm like trying to get more into it. So I bought the bought the Empress gin because it's gorgeous. Well, Julie, <laughs> after me making so many house cocktails for her, she decides she's going to go to my fridge um, and make a cocktail for me out of whatever is in my fridge. And I was so nervous to try this because I don't even know what she put in it. And she put it in front of me and I was like, God, this is going to be terrible. It was delicious. It was so good. Do you even remember what was in it, Julie? Of course I do. Jen
1: pomegranate juice a lime bubbly you rimmed it with a clementine and simple syrup I mentioned all of this because I gave Sean a penicillin on his way out the door before his volleyball game he's like the last thing he said he's like this goes on the house cocktail
2: (laughs) I was like all right he likes it yeah he liked okay good yeah it's so yummy
0: Yeah. Everybody needs a house cocktail menu. There just becomes a certain point in your life where you're like, okay, if my guests are coming over, the nice thing to do is be able to offer them a drink. Like you, I think you should be able to at least make one cocktail in your life to be able
2: to serve your guests. You're so right. Yeah. We, I love this. We actually had a really fun event that we did during COVID that was like, it was just like a couple of people. I think it was like maybe eight people that showed up on Zoom, but it was like, open up your fridge or open up your cabinet and like, what do you have at home? And then um, one of our friends or someone who kind of works in the industry helped us, uh, helped everyone like make a drink. And like a couple of people had like some, you know, some weird syrups. So that maybe they bought it at like a farmer's market that they didn't know what to do with and he kind of was like okay grab this grab that grab that and everyone just like made their own thing on zoom and it was really it was really fun I feel like there could be a there could be a way to do that again um just like use what you have it's like similar to cooking but I think people don't realize that
1: we're gonna talk more about the people's club of course but I don't think we mentioned that you also work full-time yeah I do yeah so what So, what do you do in your day job
2: I, well, I started in July, so it's just been a few months now, Um, but I, well, Julie knows, but like the software platform that we use to run People's Club is called Mighty Networks. And it's a software platform that helps creators launch and build digital communities. Um, So I work for them. I'm a product manager and help build out new features on the platform that, hosts just like me are going to use so it's very meta in some ways but it's very connected and I think it's like a really good fit and I feel like I was very picky about whether about what kind of job I wanted to take if I was going to take something full-time and I did a couple part-time jobs um, throughout COVID while I was still working on People's Club just for like extra money but once when I realized um, that I could work at Mighty and it was so connected and I didn't feel like my brain was going to be changing so much um, context switching from one thing to the next, it just felt like a really natural fit to be able to do that full time while still running the business. And they're like obviously very supportive of the fact that I have the business. And like I literally gave a presentation on People's Club to the company a couple weeks ago. So it just feels like a really great way to be able to kind of leverage some of the tech experience that I had and gained while I was in business school and through my internship while also working on something entrepreneurial. So yeah, I couldn't really, couldn't really ask for a better integration between the two things. Um, Cause I think working this much is a lot um, and I'm stressed a lot, but it's easier that they're so connected.
0: Now, I don't want you to give away like your secret sauce, but can you talk to us about how you go about building these events? Because having been in roles where I have event planned before, there's so many, like mm-hmm. I'm looking at your events and I'm like, okay, you have to source. If you are partnering with someone, how, I guess I just have questions like how how do you do this? And I don't want you to like give away exactly how, but yeah, no. What's totally. the process of like finding
2: people to partner with? Yeah, it's been, it kind of just has evolved over time. So I've basically, I mean, when I started this, I literally went to the Chicago Gourmet website and I found like 10 of the top 10 bartenders in Chicago. And then I found each of their Instagram handles and I contacted them and like one responded. So like, that was like how it got started. And then like, again, a lot of the people that work in food and Bev kind of all know each other. And like, you get introduced to different people and then those people introduce you to new people. And then I try to do, you know, a mix. So I try now that it's really focused on food and Bev, like in my head, I try to have like one whiskey event, one food related event one cocktailing thing and then one something else kind of throughout the month, that would be like a very full month. Um, so I just kind of like know that I want to hit those different categories and then find people to do them. But yeah, a lot of it is like mining Instagram. Like it, it's kind of amazing that Instagram is a platform that can help you connect with people like that, but people respond. And like, if you send someone a message saying like, Hey, like you seem like you're really talented. Would you want to run a class for this group of young people who want to learn? Most people are like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Like, let's let's talk about it.
1: We're very familiar with reaching out to people on Instagram, but (laughs) I just want to say that like if you're in the Chicagoland area or if you're visiting me and I take you to one of these events, you're gonna be blown away because you would think that. Brooke was actually just best friends with these people before the club started, which is what I just assumed when I went to my first one, which was a whiskey tasting. I was like, Oh wow. She just knows all these people. Like I guess she works in the industry and then come to find out. Nope. She's just like me and, and, you know, (laughs) asking guests on Instagram to come on. So it's definitely like a really like special personality to be able to do that and to connect with people and, and get them involved with your business.
2: Yeah. And I try to think of, um, the events as like i think sometimes my teaching experience comes out a bit because i do try to run them with like an a, a set agenda that i am very specific about with the vendor like before we have the event so i'm like you know when you do a lesson plan when i was teaching like you have to plan out like 15 minutes at a time so i'll literally be like okay first 5 minutes are this then we're going to do this then we're going to and like i try to get in like a very specific schedule with them so that we are all on the same page about what the event is going to be. And sometimes that works better than others. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a little bit of an art <laughs> over time. And they've gotten so much better over time too. Like I laugh at some of like the first one that we ran was just not, I mean, it was fine, but it was, it was not like they, they just didn't have improved over time. And some of that just comes with reps of doing doing that. So many of them.
0: I love that you mentioned, like you tied it back to your teaching career and using those skills that you built early on in your career. Julie and I talk about all the time that there's so many skills that you build up in various jobs that you can transfer over. So I love that you're utilizing some of those teaching skills that you built early on in your career.
2: I'm really, especially because people's club is about meeting new people and feeling connected to others, which sometimes is super successful. And sometimes it's not, it just depends. But I really want people to feel very welcome when they come. And like, when you're a classroom teacher, that's something you also have to do. Like you might have like, a random kid in the corner that doesn't want to participate, but like, how are you going to get them to talk to other people? So I think a little bit about that as well. And it's not just about the drinking although drinking definitely gets people there um but I really try to like say hi to every single person and make sure people like Julie knows sometimes we do table assignments sometimes and I like try to really think about like who would get along and who would talk to each other and what's this vibe like you know it's like being a teacher and like creating groups for your group project it's kind of the same thing um so there's a lot of thought that goes into each thing that's maybe invisible to the people who are there What do you think the future is for the People's Club? One thing that we have lost a little bit in the last few months is like some of the more educational and like sort of more important conversations. Like during COVID, we were having like this cocktails and conversation program where we would like talk about it, bring in like an activist or a speaker and kind of talk about some sort of issue. And I I would love to bring some of that or like layer it. in somehow I think that like in terms of growing the business and trying to just get people in the door, like maybe that's not the first thing that someone wants to experience. Um, But I think that one of the reasons why I'm passionate about this is because I think we don't have enough of those kinds of conversations with people that are different from us. And one of the things that I love about the community is that people are from all over um, have different experiences, um, and I want to continuously, like, try to make the community, you know, more diverse and more representative of the people who live in Chicago broad more broadly. Um, so I'd love to figure out a way to, like, layer that back in and, and layer in more, some more of, like, the arts and culture programming, um, because I would love to, like, go to concerts together, go to plays together, do other things like that. And during COVID, all of that just kind of like went out the window and I had to just figure out like what works well virtually and like making drinks over Zoom worked well virtually. So like, that's what we did. Um, But I'd love to see a little bit more of like a holistic perspective to the, to the programming and really make it feel like it's something where people are not just coming and, (laughs) getting tipsy or, you know, but really like learning something from it and feeling like they're becoming more informed citizens, um, from some of the programs that we do. There's
0: such a unique tie-in I think to just alcohol in general, there's so much history and culture surrounding different types of liquors and drinks. And so I think there could be like a really cool tie-in with that, that people don't, I don't think a lot of people know, like, the history of alcohol just in general in the U.S. too. Like, that's a super unique and interesting story as well.
2: Yeah, and every culture has, like, their own food traditions, their own drink traditions, their own way of, like, incorporating the, you know foods that are native to their land, into whatever they're drinking. And I think our gen- or eating and drinking, and I think our generation is doing really interesting things in that world in a way that the generation before us maybe didn't. Um, so yeah, I've started to follow a lot of like food writers and culture critics on, on Instagram and just try to get some inspiration for like, how do you create conversation around food and drink? Cause I think it's just such like, a natural way to, to connect. Um, And it's like yummy and fun. So like, it's, you know, it's, it's easy.
1: Well, you posted the, what is it? The five course tasting for November, which seemed really cool. And I mean, hopefully there's a little bit more history and discussion around what the traditions around that are going to be. So I think adding pieces like that, and like you said, like going to concerts, going to plays, that'll be a real interesting aspect that I, I would definitely look forward to. So I'm excited
2: to hear that. That's good. Yeah. You never really know like who, like what the appetite for that stuff is, but I feel like the folks that we've attracted so far are down.
1: Well, awesome. It was so great to hear the story and how you built everything behind the club that, you know, I'm still pretty new to, so I appreciate you coming in and talking about that, but we don't let any of our guests get away without answering some more fun questions that we have. My favorite one recently has been, um, if you could gift one item or one book to
2: everybody, what would it be? I feel like this is just a very basic answer based on everything that we just talked about, but if you don't have a cocktail shaker at home, great gifts, Opens up a whole world of things that you can do. So I I think I would give people a cocktail shaker if they don't have one.
0: Our very last question that we ask every single guest, and you may have, you may know this already from listening to a few episodes, but we want to know what your unpopular opinion
2: is. So my unpopular opinion is that, and this is real, I don't like fantasy. So I don't like, like, I never really got into Harry Potter. I never really watched Game of Thrones. Like, I don't know why, but I just don't find fantasy, like, interesting. Like, I just get, it's weird because I get bored, which doesn't make sense because it's supposed to be, like, so fun and magical. I just like things that are a little bit closer to reality. So what did you do, like, your whole childhood (laughs) when everybody was only talking about Harry Potter? literally like watch weird documentaries on Netflix like I remember when I found out that you could like stream documentaries I like went into my room and just watched like hours and hours of (laughs) or like read Wikipedia I find that fun (laughs) yeah I just like I am the type of person that I mean I like watching silly things and I feel like my boyfriend likes that type of stuff even more than I do so he is good because he kind of pushes me to watch like silly things together but if it were up up to me like my Netflix queue would just be like all of the like super like controversial documentaries about politics and like things going on in the world and like so depressing like terrible but yeah it's just that's that's what I would watch all day every day if I could. I understand that, though,
1: when we like we had this reading program where you get like points and the points you get pizza. I don't know. They just wanted us to read back in the day. And so like everybody was reading like Twilight or Harry Potter. And I think I read half of at the time, half of the presidential like bibliographies or autobiographies. <laughs> yeah. And like you had to take tests on these things. I'm like, why am I memorizing things about every U.S. president? <laughs>
0: Are you referring yeah. to accelerated reader?
1: You know it's a r. you, know, <laughs> there we go. Banners, you know how many banners I have printed under my
2: bed? Too many, Annika. I remember that too. Yeah, and I mostly read nonfiction. Like I struggle to get through fiction and i and I, I I don't like this about myself. Like I wish I was a better reader. and I wish that I could like read all the books that all my friends are reading. They I do. just I don't know, maybe I don't have the imagination for it.
1: I don't know. I think we need to join a book club because I tried to join Annika's, and they're like, how about a book about another woman who lives in a city? And I'm just like, all right, no, um,
0: no. I gotta go.
1: I, get, I gifted a bunch of people the Omnivore's Dilemma, which is like one of there the most go, upsetting books you could possibly yeah. read about food. Everyone's like, thanks,
2: I guess. Let's <laughs> read Michael Pond's new book about drugs and like um, mushrooms and stuff and like how they affect your brain. I'm forgetting the name of it. Oh, yeah, I
0: don't even need to know the name. I on it. <laughs> You liking documentaries does not surprise me in the least just based off of, I mean, you didn't flat out say this, but the amount of research that it seems that you do for one preparation for coming on the podcast with us, you listen to a few episodes and how much research you do in order to set up your events, nonfiction and documentaries seems very in line with, with that.
2: Yeah. And I should have mentioned like. One of the careers that I wanted to be a documentary filmmaker at one point, too. And I even did a film internship and like pretended to be into it and took some film classes in college. But yeah, film is super hard to break into. Never would have been good enough for that.
1: Well, fantastic. Works. Like I said, again, thank you so much. I had a great time talking with you. If listeners want to get in contact or learn more about the People's Club, can you give us all your social medias?
2: Yeah, so at thepeoplesclub.shy and the website, that's the Instagram and the website is www.the-peoplesclub.com or you can just, yeah, DM me or DM explain the podcast and we'll get you set up if you wanna come to an event. We'd love to have you.
0: We hope that you enjoyed this episode of Explain Yourself. You can find show notes for our episodes on our website at explainyourselfpodcast.com. If you have questions for us, you can email us at explainyourselfpod at gmail.com. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at explainyourselfpodcast and on Twitter at explain underscore pod. If you enjoyed this episode, please go like, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Your ratings and reviews help us to grow the show, get new listeners, and that way it's not just our moms.